Revelation 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be the kingdom and the priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sarus, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word. Amen. 
I wonder if you've ever uh, received an email like this. Dear Mr Maxwell, there's been an error with your tax lodgement and our records indicate that you owe the Australian Tax Office a sum of $8,358.37, which is now overdue. Please follow this link to make the payment immediately so that you will not incur additional fees or possible jail time. A anyone received an email like that at some point? Yeah? We can quite clearly see what it's saying, can't we? But to figure out what we're really dealing with, first we actually need to figure out who we're dealing with. See, we need to figure out, before we worry about what this says, we need to figure out who sent it. Is this a scammer or is it the ATO? Because how you deal with it is going to be very different one way or the other. See, who we're dealing with is essential to understanding what we're dealing with. Well, uh, some of you may know, some of you may not. We actually started this series way back in February. Uh, we had a false start. We got one sermon in and then uh, we had to hit pause. Uh, we looked at the first eight verses uh, of this chapter. So I'm actually not going to spend much time in those this morning. I'd encourage you, you can jump on our website. Uh, you can uh, go back there. There's a resources link and you can listen to past sermons. So if you scroll back to February, you'll be able to find it. Uh, and I'd encourage you, great refresher, uh, to go back there. Um, and in that first sermon, uh, we noted a few things about what we're dealing with. And so uh, you can see there your first uh, points there. What are we dealing with? There's a few blanks. First, we're dealing with a revelation. Verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ. That's just a fancy word to mean a revealing of. Uh, here, Jesus is revealing something to us. Uh, we see there in verse 3 that it's also a prophecy. That is, uh, that God is speaking uh, as he has throughout the ages, through his messengers, he is telling things for his people. Uh, and part of that here is actually telling things through his people that are how the world is now, but also what is to come. We see there in verse 2, it is also because it comes from God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it is the Word of God. And also, verse 4, it is a letter to all churches. Uh, now, in the Bible, seven, we've seen uh, over the last little while, is a number that actually is often used in the Bible, symbolic, just to mean all of, the complete, the wholeness, all the churches. So, in sending it to seven churches, actually, we see more and more clues as we go through Revelation. This is actually God's letter to all churches, in all places, in all time. Now, when we come to this last book of the Bible, it's a tricky book. And the question of what it is, what we're dealing with, often takes centre stage. What does it say? What does it mean? But here, in the very opening chapter of Revelation, it's not the what, but the who that takes centre stage. Point two, who are we dealing with? Well, before John could see who is dealing with, John heard. Have a look at verse 9. 
I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus, I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Thanks, Andrew. Did anyone jump? No, he was quite kind to us. Thank you, Andrew. Hairs on the back of your neck, stand up. Can you imagine how John must have felt? Uh, Here's John. He's in his 80s. He was actually the last of Jesus' hand-picked messengers who was still standing. Over the years, he'd watched and heard as all the other 11 were killed off for preaching about Jesus. And now John, in his 80s, spending his last days rotting away in a detention centre on a tiny little island because he refused to stop preaching that Jesus is Lord and God and risen. And here he is on a Sunday, quietly praying, when all of a sudden this voice, like a trumpet, broke out behind him. In verse 10, it's described like a trumpet. In verse 15, actually, he describes the voice again. It's described there like the sound of rushing waters. Now, has anyone here ever been uh, to Niagara Falls? Anyone? Got a couple, yep. And uh, anyone been to Jim Jim Falls? No? Uh, Anyone anyone been to a really, really fast-flowing river through the rapids? Do you remember the sound? It's just a constant kind of roar, isn't it? It's this kind of pervasive sound that's just inescapable. And you can hear the power of the water as it rushes and it moves and it crashes and it it just overwhelms everything. You want to have a conversation, you've got to shout. And here as John is praying, he hears a voice that is this, the only way he can describe it is this mix of the powerful roar of a waterfall and a trumpet blast all jammed together. A voice of power, of thunder, a voice that cuts through clear like no voice that you or I or John had ever heard before. Now, at this stage, John hasn't turned to see who has spoken to him. And John doesn't know it yet, but it's actually a voice that John had heard many times before. It's a voice that he had first heard over 60 years earlier, say to a young John in a fishing boat, come, follow me. It's the same voice that John had heard teach thousands and thousands of people about God's kingdom. The same voice that he had heard command diseases to leave people. The same voice he had heard say to a dead girl and a dead man, get up. And they did. The same voice that John had heard expose the lies of the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. Same voice he had heard say to so many sinners, 
your sins are forgiven. This was the voice that John had heard tell raging storms to stop, the voice that had predicted the future. And once, when John had thought that that voice was silence forever, three days after Jesus died, he rose back to life. See, this voice of a trumpet and a waterfall crashing together was once a very ordinary voice from a very ordinary-looking carpenter from a very ordinary part of Judea. But now Jesus has risen. He has returned to heaven where he came from. And his voice has transformed. The glory that he once had that was hidden when he came to this earth as a man, that glory is now back in full force. And as John turns to see the speaker, he immediately discovers it's not just Jesus' voice that has been transformed with his glory. Have a look at verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his hair was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet, they, they, they were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. And his voice, the sound of rushing waters. In his hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliantness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, comedian Will Ferrell uh, made a movie, as some of you will know, called uh, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Uh, it's a movie about NASCAR, but it really was just a parody of uh, the American South. And uh, there's the most brilliant scene in the film uh, is Ricky Bobby and his family. They're sitting around the table. It's Thanksgiving, and uh, Ricky begins to pray and he begins praying to tiny little eight pound six ounce newborn infant baby lord jesus sweet little baby jesus wrapped up in your cloth and he prays like this and his wife interrupts him and says you know ricky actually jesus did grow up he did become a man you know and and ricky responds and he says yeah well you know what you, you can pray to adult Jesus or bearded Jesus or whatever Jesus you like, but my favourite Jesus is the Christmas Jesus. So I'm going to pray to sweet little baby Jesus. And he goes on. Now, it's just, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That's what makes it so brilliant. It's ridiculous because you, you see there, it's, it's like as if Jesus was trapped in this one moment of history for all eternity as a baby. 
And we know how crazy that is because we know that he grew up. But you know, I, I actually think we do that to a lesser extent. I think, if we're honest, I, th- I think most of us have a picture of Jesus when we think of Jesus that, like Ricky Bobby, is actually trapped in a certain point of history and fails to recognise what is true now. See, I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to shake when I think of Jesus, to shake that image of that man who walked the streets of Judea, that, you know, long-haired, pretty-looking, white boy with a robe, that actually, even, even pulling away the Hollywood rubbish, I think actually, I often think that our picture of Jesus is trapped back there in Judea to this man, this man who was. But we're making the same mistake as Ricky Bobby. See, that is an incomplete unfinished, trapped in a moment of time picture of Jesus. And it doesn't accurately reflect who he is now, at this moment, in all his glory. See, Jesus didn't stay trapped in time. He didn't stay on this earth. He returned to his throne in heaven the place that he had come from. He went back and took his seat on the throne and he was transformed. The glory that he had had for all eternity as God, the glory that he had set aside and laid down to to become just a normal man like us. That glory he had put to one side has come back to him. And so John, who had spent three years walking around Galilee and Judea with Jesus, John, who had caught the tiniest little glimpse of Jesus' glory that night on the Mount of Olives when he saw Jesus' face glow like the sun, John, who had carried Jesus' limp and lifeless body to the tomb, John, who had seen Jesus raised, risen, He'd seen the holes in his hands. He'd seen Jesus eat and drink and talk and touch. Now, for the very first time, sees Jesus in all his risen and reigning eternal glory. It's no wonder that John falls flat on his face, is it? Well, for those of us uh, who worked through Daniel last term... Some of these descriptions sound incredibly familiar, don't they? You recognise some of that imagery. They're actually almost identical descriptions that Daniel and even Ezekiel used to describe God the Father when they saw him in his throne of heaven. And it's deliberate. That actually what we see here when we see Jesus, we see the exact imprint and image of of God. But did you notice there's a twist? Did you notice that there's, there's something extra? Have a look at verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, 
And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Now that's different. Jesus hasn't lost his human nature. He still is the son of man. He still looks like a human, because he is. And yet, he has all the glory and majesty of God, which makes him look so different to human that you couldn't even imagine how different and how glorious and how mighty he looks. See, Jesus didn't, didn't lose his human nature. He didn't just become a man for a little while, you know, God changed to man, changed to God again. No, Jesus has taken humanity into his divine nature. He's taken human nature and God's nature and he's stuck them together in himself for all eternity. But because he's God, his his glory and his divinity has wrapped up his humanity in such a way that to look at him we would fall on our faces too. See, when it comes to describing God, we're we're in this realm that human words just can't get there. We can't adequately describe. John could never describe what he saw. But what he does describe is pretty amazing. Let's have a little look. Have a look at verse 13. And there's a few more uh, points for you to fill out here. Well, first we see that he is clothed in a long robe and a sash. And this sash represents that Jesus is the king of heaven. Verse 14, we see his hair is as white as snow. Uh, His feet were like white hot burning bronze. A symbol of purity. It's gone through the fire. It's had all the impurities removed. It's glowing. Verse 14, his eyes are like blazing fire. As we'll see a little later, it's a bit of a hint that, that Jesus sees and knows everything. even even the deepest secrets of our hearts. In verse 16, we see his tongue is described like a sharp sword, which is, a, which is an image taken from the Old Testament Scriptures and a reminder that actually Jesus will judge all the earth with the power of his word. We see again in verse 16, his face shining like the sun, a picture of Jesus' glory and his holiness Just like the sun, you couldn't get near the sun without burning to a crisp. Jesus, who is God, is so holy that in our sin, we could not come near him without disintegrating in a moment. And when John is so terrified by what he sees that he collapses to the ground, Jesus speaks again and he comforts him. Have a listen, verse 17. He, now just get your head around this, this son of man, this glorious God that John has just described, placed his hand on John. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Well, why doesn't John need to be afraid face to face with the risen Lord Jesus? Why doesn't he need to be terrified? 
Well, the answer is the cross. Have a look at verse 18. This is what Jesus said to him. Do not be afraid. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. See, Jesus is pointing John right back to the cross. Right back to the real reason why Jesus left his glory in heaven in the first place and became nothing. The cross is the reason why Jesus took on humanity. It's why he became that Christmas baby Jesus to grow into the man Jesus, to be the man Jesus who was crucified in our place, who took our place, our spot on the chopping block, took our punishment for our sin. He died. The eternal God crucified. And he did that, if we look back, verse 5, because he is the one who loves us. And in doing this, he actually freed us, verse 5, from our sins by the cross, by shedding his blood. He took our sin and our punishment to the grave. He was dead. But now look, he is alive forever. And what has he got in his hands? He's got the keys to death and Hades. Well, what does that mean? Why does that mean that John doesn't need to be afraid? Well, because of the cross, Jesus now has the power of death. He broke the power of death. He rescued us from the grave. He's rescued us from hell by the cross. The cross is why we don't need to pee our pants when we come face to face with the risen Lord Jesus. This isn't a sweet little baby Christmas Jesus, is it? It's not even bearded preacher, teacher, healer Jesus. It's not even risen and walking around with holes in his hands Jesus. This is Jesus returned to heaven in all the glory and splendour he had from before all creation. Yet the Son of Man who does bear those holes, bears the scars of the fact that he did die. Eternal reminder that he loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So today, as you leave this school and uh, you're sitting around the table with some other folks from church that just after our time together you invited back for lunch and uh, as, as you stop and you're about to thank God for the barbecue chook and the coleslaw that you picked up from Coles on the way home, please don't pray a Ricky Bobby prayer. As you stop and thank God for the food and you remember who Jesus is, please don't pray to a Jesus in your head that's locked in one moment in time. Pray to Jesus who is today. 
the risen and ascended Lord, the one who's been transformed in glory, the living one, the first and the last, who's way before time started and way after time started. He has no beginning and no end. He was dead, but now he lives and reigns forever. Pray to that Jesus. See, doesn't seeing this Jesus transform the way we pray? Completely transforms it. See, wouldn't we pray differently if we knew and were remembering that this is the God that we pray to? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we ask more about his glory than about our own fancies and interests? Wouldn't our requests for the lost grow bigger and bolder, knowing his power and infinite glory? And doesn't seeing Jesus as he truly is transform your hope and your courage? Wouldn't we feel more courageous standing for Jesus, knowing that the king that we stand for is this king, the most awe-inspiring, majestic, glorious God Almighty. Wouldn't we feel less troubled by the hardships and the suffering that we face when we remember that this Jesus is the one who is coming back to take his children home? But it also transforms how we read this letter. So you remember the, the who transforms the what. See, this is the letter that he has sent to us. Now, I hope that as uh, you followed along there, you realise I actually skipped a few verses. You probably noticed in verse 12 that Jesus was standing amongst seven golden lampstands, and that's all a bit weird. And, and in verse 16, Jesus is holding seven stars in his hand. Well, it's a good thing that uh, in verse 20, Jesus explains this for us, otherwise we wouldn't have a clue in the world. But have a look at verse 20. The mystery, Jesus says, of the seven stars that you saw in my hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. See, what we see here is not only is Jesus the risen and ascended Lord of all glory, ascended and sitting on the throne in heaven, He's also right here in our midst. Right here with his churches, in the middle of his churches. And he holds the angels of the churches in his hand. Jesus is here as we gather this morning. Well, at the start of this revelation that God gave us through Jesus... God tells us what this is. It's a letter, it's a prophecy, it's a revelation and it's there, verse 19, to tell us what is and what will take place. This letter shows us how the world really is and it shows us what is coming. But right here at the start, God actually wants us to focus on the who on the glory and the majesty of the risen Lord Jesus. As we work through this book, each chapter will remind us that it is Jesus' voice 
that we are hearing on every page. We'll read wonderful things, things that you will find hard to believe are true, promises that you will find hard to trust and believe. Remember, this is the voice of the living one. And as we work through, we'll find challenging and confronting things, things that we'll be tempted to ignore, things that, things that will seem too hard or too much. Remember, this is the voice of the living one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that here at the start of Revelation, we see Jesus in all his glory. Lord, we pray that today and every day we would have this image of Jesus in our minds and our hearts, that we would know and we would remember and we would pray and we would live and we would hope and we would endure and we would suffer as people who know that our King is the most glorious, holy, pure, mighty God who sits on heaven, the one who was dead but now lives, the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Amen.